As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. We're here to talk Cubs and Cubs adjacent stuff. I mean, it is, it's like, it's a Cubs podcast at The Athletic, but I, I think maybe, I'll, maybe I'm just teeing up the fact that as the offseason approaches, it'll become probably a little baseball-y, right? Because we'll get into some sort of broader topics, CBA stuff, rules changes. I don't know. We, we, I, I feel like sometimes we don't get into enough of that stuff because I got a lot I got I got a lot I want to say about rules-related stuff. Not today. So this is just a terrible tease for this episode because we're not actually going to get into any of that. But it was on my mind that that's what's coming. H- how are you doing today, Patrick? I'm good, Brett. You know, I needed a lot of time to recover from that Chris Bryant thank you video. Like, it was a really emotionally taxing. Well, I loved uh, 90 the, seconds. Well, when the camera panned, <laughs> when the camera panned from him and his tears up to the press box and you with even more tears just streaming yeah. down the face, I could not believe you were weeping. It was, it was it lovely. Was- it was just seeing all those page views and subscriptions walk out the door. Of There was few better names, as you know, Brett, than Chris Bryant. I mean, really, from the moment he was drafted to the moment he was traded, I don't know if there was a better name to put in a headline. And he always delivered with good commentary that you could really ask him about anything. And he would almost always try to give a very thoughtful, provocative answer and give you details. And and for that, I will always be grateful to Chris Bryant. Why you saw me just sobbing into my laptop uh, during that video montage. No more good quotes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and and he certainly didn't... um didn't disappoint in that respect this weekend. Obviously the giants came to Wrigley field, Chris Bryant in tow, and it was, um, 
it definitely had the farewell vibe because he got the video tribute and, uh, you know, this none of this should be surprising to anyone, as we've discussed repeatedly on this podcast going back multiple years. There was just not an expectation internally, externally, whatever, that, that Chris Bryant was going to be with the Cubs after 2021. That separation happened maybe a few months earlier than expected, but it was expected to be a separation. And so uh, definitely this weekend had that kind of vibe like, okay, we didn't get to do the full on farewell at the trade deadline. Uh, Let's do it now. And, you know, I'd be curious. I wonder what the vibe would have felt like if the Mets had come to Wrigley Field. Like, would it have felt the same with Javi Baez in terms of like a just a full on ship is sailing goodbye thank you for everything or would it have just uh, or would the energy have been more a little more like active uh this is a guy who's still in our orbit a little bit and i don't know i i, I thought about that as it was playing out and i think um it it will be interesting if and when the next time these guys finally do come obviously who knows when and what the circumstances will be with anthony rizzo or Javi Baez, um, but uh, at least at least fans got the the Chris Bryant farewell. Any anything else to say on that before we talk about the actual baseball of that series? No, I think you and I saw that the same way. I mean, saying like your post and my column, this was felt like the end, capital T, capital E, and Bryant said, you know. Of course, I never close the door in this place, you know, and he he did not say it in any sort of convincing manner. So, of course, he'd listen the same way he'd always listen. And Scott Boris will love to have the Cubs involved on the periphery. But I just do not see a realistic path. And part of that is the Giants legitimately putting out this kind of great opportunity in front of him. And I think as he looks at the next phase of his career. And I don't know if he would ever say this, but I think it helps to be in a place where he's not viewed as the MVP, the franchise guy that he fits really well in the Gi- with the Giants in that clubhouse, in that market, as they look forward to the next, say, five years. I don't think they're going to go crazy for him in terms of like some sort of Bryce Harper, Manny Machado deal, but... I think they can they've seen what he can do, they know what he can do, and that if there's a deal in that like five to six year range with a really high AAV, I think Chris Bryant uh is a giant. Yeah, I would I would call them not the prohibitive favorite at this point, but definitely a favorite. The uh, Giants incidentally clinched a postseason berth uh yesterday, beating the Padres, having Swept the Cubs this weekend and the celebratory picture uh, there in San Francisco. It's got all of the players gathered there on the field and dead center standing in the middle is Chris Bryant. And um, I joked on Twitter that it looked like the ending scene of The Shining as the camera slowly pans in on that old ball picture. And there's Jack Torrance. And it's like he's been there all along. And that's that's exactly how it struck me. Zoom in on this picture of Chris Bryant's like. Yeah, it's kind of like he's been there all along. Um, so I would not at all be surprised if he remains there at the Overlook uh, in San Francisco for many years to come. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So speaking of that series against the Giants, uh, obviously the helium all got gobbled up by Chris Bryant, but I think this is something that we've touched on the podcast. I think you've written about it. Sahadev's written about it. I've touched on it. The Giants sort of loom larger than most teams this year for the Cubs, at least in the second half for the Cubs, because they have become this, um, I don't know, living... perfect example of like, oh, you can be a team that nobody thinks is going to be any good. And with some savvy moves in a single offseason, you can turn it around and be the best team in baseball, the first you know postseason clinching team in baseball. And that's fine. I'm not poo-pooing that discussion at all because, like again, I've said this. And I do think particularly with respect to the rotation, which has been most of our focus, the Giants did do that. They just knocked it out of the freaking park with a lot of really savvy short-term additions. And the Cubs would do well to try to replicate some of that. But what I was sleeping on a bit, and I think we haven't discussed quite enough, you've mentioned it, Sahadi's mentioned it, but I don't know that we've really just hammered it quite a bit for folks, is that a huge part of the reason the Giants are this good this year is because they have five guys in their mid-30s who used to be really good players and then look totally washed are now performing at like near MVP levels. And I don't know that you can say, ah, well, look to the Giants as a model to replicate going forward. Because like, first of all, most teams aren't going to have five guys in-house already who were formerly really good, but then are aging out. And then, oh, we have figured out how to turn 35-year-old Evan Longoria into a superstar again. That I just don't know that you can actually try to replicate that. So I've been thinking about that issue. It's, it's him, Brandon Belt. Uh, Crawford, Posey, and Darren Ruff. And they're just killing it. They're a fundamental part of how the Giants are succeeding. And like, the more I look at that, the more I think, what really is the lesson for a team like the Cubs that is not in the same place that the Giants were after last year, but is trying to take away some kind of lesson from how good they are this year? Like, I don't know. Are we just creating a narrative where there isn't one? No, I think there is. I think the Cubs internally are paying very close attention to what the Giants are doing. I think if you take a step back, I think we said in the last podcast, Crane and Tom Ricketts said, oh, we'll never be the the Dodgers or the Yankees in terms of payroll, right? So in terms of a Cubs peer group, it is the Giants that like next step below 
uh, you know, big market team, a lot of tradition, a very good reputation for taking care of their players. And so the free agents, there's always going to be a set of free agents who like look at the Yankees, Mets and Red Sox are like, I I don't know about that. Players want to come play for the Giants, play for the Cubs. Uh, I think you do have a good point in terms of like, yeah, there's not like Buster Posey, Brandon Belts walking around the Cubs clubhouse, but you also threw like Darren Ruff in there and like no one really thinks of that guy. You know, he's not really mentioned in the same breath as those guys. And I think what the Giants have done is there are kind of several layers to it of like their coaching staff unlocked something that the Cubs had been seeking for years and they got a level of buy-in that the Cubs had not over the years. They found something in a group of like mid thirties players where the Cubs had so many players in their mid to late twenties kind of just plateau. And and I think you have to find the right players. And instead of, we talked about this before, like anointing the Albert Almoras of the world to like, you're our everyday guy for the next seven years. It's like what Andrew Baggerly, our giants writer has kind of put it. It's like, there's no black holes on that team. Like, Every at-bat, every inning on the mound, there's kind of like a baseline of competency and that uh, when you layer in depth, when you hit on some guys, maybe it's not – obviously there's not a brand of belt laying around, but those older guys in free agency are always looking for jobs, right? I mean, they're always complaining about you know being squeezed out. And if you can find some of those right guys with pedigree – if you find the right role players, if you set the kind of right tone with your coaching staff and clubhouse, and then just hit on some of those pitchers. I think, Brett, you've mentioned this before. We don't think the Cubs are going to sign guys to six-year deals this offseason, but like, there's nothing saying you can't be right on these short-term deals, and that's what they were uh, on the pitching side with very sophisticated uh, game planning, scouting system that the Cubs, by and large, already have in place. I think you, we can extend this conversation out more broadly. You know, the Giants again—they they have made for a very compelling example for a lot of stuff because they were a team that had like a five percent playoff odds uh, in in March, according to the various systems, and then have proven to be this hundred win plus team. So they they get a lot of attention. But I think more broadly, what's going to be an issue for the Cubs this offseason in whether it's trying to replicate some of what the Giants have done, whether it's continuing to do what they have done with some of these, um, you know, approaching 30-year-old, uh, not household name guys to try to give them a chance next year to keep doing what they're doing or um, – going into the middle tier of pitching, some of the non-bigger names to give them a chance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If the Cubs go that route this offseason, <clears throat> they might compete. It might be the way to do it. They're, you know, they may, maybe they reverse engineer what the Giants are doing and they boom, they figure it out and come July, August of next year, even without a loaded roster, we look and we see, wow, they're really competitive in the central. Uh, that'd be great. I would love to see that. The, the issue that I see for the Cubs is one that ties a bit of the business side of things to the baseball side. 
and I got to be real careful here because what I'm not saying is you have to go out and get sexy names. Otherwise, you can't be competitive. You can't entertain fans, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't think the Cubs are going to do that. Like, I don't think they're going to go out and say, we got to sign Carlos Correa because he's a big name and we need big names to, to fill the stands. But I do think we are missing a big chunk of the story if we don't talk about the fact that the Cubs know at this point, here's the reality of pro sports in 2021 and 2022. Here's the reality of having launched a new TV network in the old cable model of last year. And here's the reality of a post-pandemic world, hopefully next year, where getting people to pay lots and lots of money to come into a crowded space in a ballpark is just going to be more difficult. They know this team needs to be compelling. They know this team needs to win games. I keep saying this to people, and I probably will be saying it all offseason long because you know, maybe I'm just wrong or it just doesn't land with people in the right way. But even if you are the most cynical fan in the world and you say that the owners of the Cubs only care about making money and the front office of the Cubs only cares about serving the owners to make more money, they're still going to want to win games next year because that's the way to make money. That is the way that you will fill the stands in this environment. We always talked about the Cubs having this huge floor of attendance and um, in a world where their revenue is disproportionately tied to attendance, you know, well, you got a season ticket waiting list of 150,000 people. Boy, you mean you can always, you know, you're always going to be able to sell a baseline of 25 to 30,000 tickets for every single game. I don't think that's going to be the case next year. I think, and we can talk a little bit about this because I'm sure you guys are hearing it too. I say you guys because we talked our producer, Michael, before the call and he maybe has heard this as well. Like, and you can slide in, Michael, if you want to say anything, but like people who are very far down on the season ticket waiting list are getting the call. And it's like a, you know, poised as a hypothetical. And it's like, uh, you know, hey, if you happen to come up this off season, would you talk to us about the season ticket? And like, I started to hear trickles of that two years ago and then a little more like uh, before the pandemic hit. And I'm seeing it from tons of people now. And it just gets me thinking like, I don't know that that's a real thing anymore. The season ticket waiting list. And I think to the extent that it's not, are the Cubs just going to be like any other team now in terms of like scrambling to try to get that baseline up? And if that's true, well, you're going to have to win games next year. So anyway, I don't want to set all that up. You could say what you want to say on that, Mooney. But I think that's a portion of this conversation about what the Cubs do or don't do this offseason that we all need to keep in mind. I think that's dead on, Brett. I think uh, that is the story for this team and that you know, for so long this franchise had kind of operated with this philosophy of we're the Cubs and that's enough that Wrigley Field is such a great place to come to and that you, the fans, have been hooked for so long that it almost didn't matter what the franchise did, that it didn't matter who they supported politically or how openly they aligned themselves and that it didn't matter how bad the team was or how long it had been since they last won the World Series. It's where the Cubs. And I think the pandemic has changed things. I think winning the World Series has changed things. Uh, it's no longer can I, technology has changed things. Can I slide yeah, in on that one real quick? Yeah. Something I forgot to mention because good point about the World Series. Something I didn't appreciate at the time when they won it and in the years after, 
I, but I have heard from a lot of friends now, including some who are giving up their season tickets, is that for a long time, part of the reason you held on to your season tickets is because the last thing you wanted was to miss out if it happened. You know, if they went on a deep postseason run, you needed to have those tickets just so that you could experience that. Well, now there's no more threat that you're going to miss out. So if it's a close call and it's a lot of money for those tickets, you're a lot more willing to say, you know what, I'm giving them up this year. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, you can go down in any different direction and realize that the Cubs are under pressure here, that whether it's businesses that are hopefully still around, but have been impacted one way or the other by the pandemic. It's, uh, you know, people not commuting to offices anymore and are not in downtown Chicago and saying, oh, I'm going to take the red line. Another <laughs> kind of layer to this of like, oh, let's just hop on the red line and go go to Cubs game. It's like, do you really want to go on public transportation right now? Are you downtown anyways for your job? And so I think kind of the institutional arrogance that had set in uh it's probably not uh totally gone now but i think there is a reevaluation um internally uh, at the cubs offices of like you know we have to go out and earn this and you know it's just not the same uh as when thea walked in as this like rock star executive and it you know the cubs built it as the last great quest in North American sports. It's like, well, yeah, they won. They didn't win again. Uh, We don't really have a plan right now other than Kyle Hendricks probably pitching to Wilson Contreras on opening day. Like, trust us. At a time when they've really squandered almost all their goodwill from 2016. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Um, God, where do you even take it from there? I mean, that's very well. Come, come, see, come see our plaque. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm thinking about the Cubs do have one homestand left this year, um, and it will it includes the Cardinals for four of the seven games. And I think that that you can't call that a bellwether for anything next year because we've already seen. We've seen the empty stadium picks, which, you know, you wouldn't associate with Wrigley Field, save for those brutal April days where it was raining and it was 35 degrees and it was the middle innings of a blowout. That's about the only time you would see those truly empty picks. Um, Even during the rebuild, I feel like, I don't know, August, September, it just didn't look like what we've seen the last couple of weeks, other than this giant series when a lot of people were there for uh, Chris Bryant. So we'll see what this last homestand looks like. But again, the point Mooney's making, the point I'm making is the the Cubs are not, 
<laughs> I always want to say they're not idiots. You know, they're not like I, I my <laughs> my feed. Anytime I say something like that, it just gets full up with people like, "Yes, they are." And it's like <laughs> that okay. was like the great Theo quote of, "We know what we're doing here." Like after they fired Swaim or something like yeah. that, I definitely got a good run out of that. Yes, quote. <laughs> and so I have to be careful. Like I'm not just appealing to authority, but like. They 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 do have an interest in seeing that their business succeeds. Okay, so that when when the attendance is not there, when it's totally empty, and when they are scrambling to try to fill the volume of season ticket held seats that they want to to hold, we're not even talking about luxury boxes, by the way. Like I can't even imagine trying to sell out your 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 luxury spaces right now for next year. I'm sure that's a bear too, um, and I think. They will, you know, they're seeing what's happening on these homestands. They're going to have those conversations this offseason. And it's not going to dictate what the front office does on the baseball side. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying more that the business side and the ownership side are probably not going to be as needlessly restrictive on the baseball side as some people are kind of fearing. Because I think there is a synergy between what baseball needs to do and what business needs to do that is probably going to make them a little more flexible in free agency and in trades than people are fearing. That's not me saying they're going to spend up to the luxury tax in one offseason. They're not going to commit to like 10 different huge contracts in one offseason. It's just that they're going to have the ability to go after some of these <clears throat> shorter term, higher dollar types. I, I that's I've said that for a while now. Mooney has said it. Sahadev said it. That's I'm I'm not putting words in your guys' mouth in terms of where you're getting that sense from, but for me, that's just the sense that I have. And so I think that squares with this business-related conversation that we've had today. So that's good. I might leave it there. You got anything else you want to add on that? Uh, No, sometimes uh, your points, you make such a sophisticated, holistic argument that I wonder... uh, we haven't I get why fans are going to jump you on Twitter because we haven't always seen the Cubs operate that way in terms of, you know, kind of uh looking at a broader picture other than just the bottom line. And so that will it will be fascinating to watch uh how they proceed, how they react to the statements that the fans are making by not showing up to Wrigley Field automatically 40,000 uh at a time. All I heard there was you say that I make brilliant holistic points. That's you that do. Some I think sometimes it's just that, you know, what makes sense to us and what we see as logical and what people on the ground think is not always how the people in the luxury suites or the executive offices operate at Wrigley Field because their investments uh overall that's what they care about so we'll see i think i think uh they have to and i guess the other last thing too is like there's so much money falling off the books that like literally it's going to look like the cops are spending a knot even if they're like nowhere close to where they were when they were contending like oh wow like that (laughs) too it's like well yeah you need like three starting pitchers and like five position players like it's gonna add up and be like oh wow they haven't been this active in a long time so well yeah they have no players <laughs> yeah that's funny that is gonna be like um, david Plo- Bodie can't play everywhere for the next right. 10 years you know 
Well, so we could call it now. Cubs are going to make some moves at, probably after the CBA. You know, we'll call it December, January. Definitely like, after the CBA. Yeah. yeah. They'll be like, whoa, they're really opening it up. And then someone will look at the opening day payroll and they'll start writing the articles of how cheap are these Cubs? <laughs> and it'll, it'll be the same people. It'll be the same people who are like, look at all their spending. It reminds me of when um, the White Sox over the last two, three years went kind of, relatively speaking for them, hog wild on spending. And then people started to realize, wait, their payroll is still lower than the Cubs. And they were getting all of these plaudits for all of their spending, which is fine. It's great. Go spend. And they were augmenting a nice young team. But it was just funny, the disconnect between like what you already have in the books and what you're doing versus, uh, you know, how much credit you deserve for, for making these new commitments. So that is a good point, Munich, because I think they have like, I don't know, 50 million on the books for next year. Yeah, they, they can they're, make a lot. They're very of- good at at yeah. sleight of hand, so like, there's no doubt that it'll you know it will be celebrated. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, all right. Good stuff. Uh, so this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Patrick Mooney. Get his at the Athletic. He just wrote a fun piece on the Craig Kimbrell trade and some of the outflow from that. Nick Madrigal was there at Wrigley Field this weekend. Uh, for the first time meeting up with his new mates uh, as he continues to rehab that hamstring injury. Uh, good read there from Mooney. So check that out. And otherwise, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about this lovely, uh, lovely auditory experience that we provide to you twice a week. The second of which will come in a couple days as the Cubs are playing the Phillies and then the Brewers. And we will talk to you then soon. Take care, folks. 